Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Euro Graps Express. I'm your host Neil David and we're back once again to supposedly talk about all the happenings on the British and European wrestling scene. But I've seen my arse a bit this fortnight and I'm, if I'm honest with you, I'm a, I'm a little bit annoyed. You know, if, if I know about three things, it's European wrestling, cheese and building a brand. And if there's one thing that's that's critical to building a brand, it's consistency. And I've done an episode every two weeks, all year long, and I think I've been doing pretty well. Every other Monday, we had an episode. And last Monday, it was supposed to just be another episode, talking about all the great happenings on the British and European wrestling scene. And I know that when you looked on your Spotify or your iTunes or whatever it was, there was no episode there. And I feel a little bit annoyed with myself, to be honest with you, because the reason why is because lots and lots of stuff happened. There was the New Japan Royal Quest, Nights 1 and 2. There was the WXW Tag Team Tournament over in Germany. And there was 1PW returning with a new twist of fate at the fabled Doncaster Dome. And absolutely none of it was available to watch. And I thought, all this exciting stuff is happening, and I'm just going to come on and do an episode and and not be able to talk about any of it. So I thought, that's not an issue, we'll just delay it by a couple of days. I've delayed one by a couple of days before. Uh, I had a few technical issues, so it came out a day or two late. I thought, we'll do that. And I waited, and I waited, and I waited, and... It just want royal 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 quest just is royal quest just isn't there, and I'll be honest with you, I'm absolutely losing my mind over it because everybody that was there is saying that tag team match, the Aussie Open against FTR. I'm hearing the low end is best tag team match of the year, the high end is best match of the year, and I'm even seeing some people whose opinions that I trust, who aren't prone to exaggeration, who don't get carried away like I do, saying it's one of the best tag team matches they've ever seen. And I don't understand why I can't watch it. <laughs> Maybe I've just thrown my toys out the pram here. But it feels like this Royal Quest is a massive downgrade. This is WrestleMania 2, isn't it? 
you know, this is a huge downgrade compared to that first one. I mean, I was at the first one live, but the building was bigger. Uh, it was live on New Japan World, so even if you weren't there live, everybody was watching it at the same time. It just feels like this one's been a little bit of an afterthought. It's kind of like a bit of an analogy for modern New Japan, isn't it, in a lot of ways? And I know my New Japan takes upset people, but it's sort of the same, isn't it? But not quite. Yeah, Royal Quest 2 is a big event in London, but there's just a lot of things that aren't quite there. Like, even when you look at the card, it's the top end of the card's great, but then the rest of it is just very much a standard New Japan Road 2 show. But I, I want to. I have to see that tag match, and I, I'm I'm absolutely desperate to see it. And it's really winding me up that it's not available. WXW, I've heard really good things. Again, I'm probably not the best person to analyse WXW anyway. Um, Ian Hamilton's your man to go to for that. But I just I I really like the big WXW weekends. I we reviewed the 16 karat gold weekend right when the show started, and I loved it. I loved the fact not just the tournament shows, but the the shows that are around it, the the shows that are a little bit different or unusual, and it it feels very much like a festival of wrestling a couple of times a year. And it's it's annoying that I can't get in and and, and talk about that. But with all these letdowns and all this disappointment. There is one promotion that did us proud. There is one promotion that made their stuff available to watch and review and analyse and talk about. What promotion is that? Well, that promotion is One Pro Wrestling. Doncaster's own. They're back 17 years away. They've They've returned to their spiritual home, the Doncaster Dome. They've got back many of the stars of old, like Iceman. And they've put on a show with a, a, a really good house. You know, I'm being, I'm, obviously I'm sneering here and I'm being a little bit critical. But they, they, did, they did a successful show with some big stars on it. And a show that's, that's definitely worth watching. If we're looking at some of the biggest shows of the year... It seems like they sold more tickets than a York Hall. You know, there's some big stars on this show. I I think, I think we've got to talk about it. And I say we've got to talk about it. That's all there is to talk about. So we're going to have to suffer through. You know, when I got my microphone delivered, I, I knew I wanted to get into audio about a year ago. And I, I started to think about it. And I, I did a couple of guest shots on a, the fantastic wrestler Noma Cassé, uh, Rest in Peace, with John Carroll. Uh, and they were brilliant. They they really allowed me to, to sort of find my feet in audio because I've been a writer for a long time, but the audio's very different. It's essentially the same, isn't it? You're being, people are, are coming to you to hear your thoughts and analysis, but with writing, it's I, I don't know. The audio's more immediate in a lot of ways, but also it's more nerve-wracking. You, it's more, you've got to think about what you're saying a lot more. You can't stumble over your words like I've just done for the past minute and a half. Uh, but I, I had some great time on Oma Cassé. I did a, a great show with uh, with Jerry Evergood, who's she's absolutely fantastic, and she we did a show looking at random Survivor Series matches over the years, and and I got I thought I'm going to do this, and I got my microphone delivered, and I, I knew I had two choices: I could either talk about British and European wrestling, or I could talk about cheese. And I thought, well, I'm already 
in with the voices of wrestling crowd and I'll, I'll i'll see what rich thinks about doing a podcast about british and european wrestling but the way i've been this week with the disappointments and the fact that i basically had to turn into a one pw podcast i kind of wish i'd done the cheese podcast if you like cheese, by the way, then get into the Discord. If you go into the Discord, there's a Eurograps Express room. We've had some lovely cheese boards posted this week. Had some lovely uh, little tidbits in there. Um, and that's really all we talk about. We don't talk about wrestling, but we talk about cheese, and we'd love you to join the conversation. Um, I suppose we'd better talk about 1PW, won't we? Um, let's get in the car. Let's drive down to Doncaster, and I'll tell you if it was worth bringing them back from the dead. So we're at the Doncaster Dome and we were treated before it all started to a very, very dramatic opening sequence, like this very strange video. It was all slow motion and soft colour filters with dramatic music and somebody who clearly wasn't a professional voiceover artist trying to dig up memories of the past, of the of the golden age of, of 1PW. Um I'm not going to go into the history of 1PW, partly because I'm, again, like I said with WXW, I'm not the person to do it. And there's plenty of places that have done that on other podcasts since since they announced the return. But it was just all a little bit forced. You know, it, it I, I have to think that the people behind this know how 1PW is perceived. And it's not fondly remembered really is it it's remembered fondly in kind of an ironic way you know people might say yes we got to see danielson and christopher daniels and all these people uh, back when the american indies were, were in that red hot sort of ring of honor phase but it's not remembered as this great bastion of the scene that people really regret it's kind of remembered with a bit of a, a bit of a smirk and a bit of a sneer so it, it it was funny to see them really lean into that history uh but it's wrestling, I suppose, isn't it? It's, it's kayfabe, and sometimes what actually happened doesn't even really matter. What matters is is how you push it. But I felt like what this opening video did, and, and we'll talk about the commentary as well and what they did, was kind of exposed it a little bit by pushing, pushing the nostalgia a little bit too far. They were really trying to push this idea that 1PW, as I say, was this bastion of the British wrestling scene that people are relieved and to see back and everybody loved it. But actually, by pushing it so hard, they just exposed the fact that it was a bit of a joke. Um, they had awful music for this. And hey, actually, that sounds like a criticism, but I actually quite liked it. They they got a custom song done about, and it was, I mean, it was abysmal. But it kind of had that really strange NXT feel, you know, like when they have a, a song, like, oh, today's song has been delivered by some rubbish metalcore band that no one's ever heard of. You know, it was a bit like that. And I, I quite liked that. It had a little bit of a, that that little moment had a little bit of cadence to it that, that called back to other wrestling. That I just, it's, it's a little moment that not a lot of companies pinch. And I, I thought it was strange that they did. Um, there was a good house. They looked like they'd done really well. Um, there was a bit of a of a doubt going around Twitter about whether they'd actually sold as many tickets as they said. But the venue was full for the most part. There were a few empty seats around. But I was looking at going, actually. And when I checked, there were very, very few seats left a week or two before. So that's really, really positive. The only issue with the crowd that I had was that they weren't mic'd properly. 
And you'll find in a lot of matches when we talk about them, they just felt a little bit flat. It was like an enforced clap crowd. And we've learned over COVID that wrestling without a, an audience is generally pretty rubbish, you know. And, and I know some wrestlers can work well with it and can work around it, but you need that noise and you need that immediate feedback. And it, it was just missing, really, from a lot of this. So let's get into the matches then. The first one we had was Robbie X against Ace Austin. And if you open your show with Robbie X, I'm in. I think he is perfect for this sort of spot. I mean, I think he's a great wrestler, Robbie X. I think he's one of the leading lights in the seed at the minute. Um, but you know he can go out there and do amazing flips and amazing things and just get you excited to be at a wrestling show. You know, think of that energy when a wrestling show starts. You know, that excitement that you've got. You've probably been sat there on a chair that's done your backing for the past hour. Um sat on your phone waiting you know maybe had a chat with a few people but that eagerness and that energy kind of builds up and Robbie X just encapsulates that for me when he's an opening man and I think that is such an underrated spot for wrestlers and I think it's I think the opening is the second most important spot on the card apart from the main event and Robbie X is just perfect for it this match was the most egregious for the commentary going way too saccharine and overboard with the history. You know, they were talking about Robbie X being born and raised in 1PW and it, this was what inspired him to be a wrestler, being 10 years old, sat at the side of the ring on the first show, desperate to one day join. And it, it's all this, this overblown drama that, as I said earlier on, just kind of exposed the fact that it's 1PW and you're in the Doncaster Dome. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It didn't sell me that 1PW was this... I mean, it'd be interesting to see if a younger person, maybe if you're on the younger side and you have no concept of 1PW, if you may be newer to, to wrestling, what did you think of that? Like, you know, did you sort of roll your eyes a bit? Because to me, I, I don't see how it could have come across as anything other than forced. Um, I think they just needed to be cool. They needed to relax a little bit. And again, that was a little bit of a problem with the whole night. It was just kind of the presentation of it all was just counterproductive. So at the start of this, Ace Austin did a promo, but they did it between entrances. So Robbie X will come out, and like I say, there's this energy at the start of a show, and Robbie X is perfect for it, the way he bounces in the ring, and he's he clearly wants to be there. You know, I, I think it is genuine about him getting his start in 1PW, and that's what inspired him to become a wrestler himself. I, I know that's not a lie. That's all a work, I should say. Um, but so we had all this energy that was really, you know, captivating and, and infectious, and then we cut to a really boring promo from Ace Austin. And the promo wasn't really anything worth saying. It wasn't anything that we needed to know. It was a very much a cookie cutter. Hey, I'm a baddie from the Bullet Club and Robbie X is good, but I'm better. And you just think, right, why did we have to have that? Cutting the energy and bringing things down a little bit. Have you ever been to uh, a live WWE show? Not a house show, but like a live on telly, like a Raw. I made the mistake of going once about eight or nine years ago when it was in Liverpool. I actually, I got free tickets to go and see it. I reviewed it. Um, this is before I wrote for Voices Wrestling. And I reviewed it for another website. Um, it was like a Liverpool, um, 
one of my wife's friends ran it. It was like a sort of a things to do in Liverpool. They used to just get free tickets for stuff. And I, I got free tickets and I went. And they had this really bizarre thing when things aren't live. The wrestlers just kind of stop being wrestlers. I remember Dolph Ziggler coming out. And this was when Dolph Ziggler was, you know, people were still kind of convinced that he could be something. You know, it wasn't. It was before we realised that the ship had sailed and he was the first wrestler that came out that the crowd really erupted for. But then they clearly cut to like a video or a VT and the the arena lights went off and Dolph Ziggler stopped being Dolph Ziggler and just kind of walked to the ring. It was all really, really strange. And it kind of had that sort of feeling about it that we were watching Robbie X do this amazing entrance and getting really excited for it and getting really into it and then we just cut to stillness and to boring pro wrestling nothingness it was just, it was really odd and especially because he came out to crickets as well nobody seemed to be that interested in uh in ace austin um again what took away from this match because it, it was okay this match it was a little bit clumsy um, but there were a couple of things that, that just didn't really sit right with me. First of all, the commentary just got worse and worse as it went on. You know, going on about going down in history. And they were, they were saying things like, we're doing things that would be considered inconceivable tonight. And it, do you know what I mean about just going that little bit too far? I don't think any promotion can really get away with that unless you go full cartoon. And I don't want my wrestling to be full cartoon. I think Robbie X here, as much as I love him, and there's loads of little things that he does, like the way he moves his legs on a backslide. He'd, he'd do backslides and do sort of a handstand, or when he he falls on a bump, he'll land on kind of the top of his shoulders and just do an extra little bounce. He bordered on being a little bit too cartoonish, to, to use the same word, that kind of exposed it a little bit. So his legs would flail a little bit too much, and it'd be a little bit unrealistic. So it wasn't flamboyant. It wasn't original and exciting. It was just a little bit too much. And he crossed that, he jumped the shark a little bit. I love that phrase, you know, jump the shark. If you, do you know it comes from? It means, if you've never heard it before, it means when things just go a little bit too far and you can't take them seriously. You know, like Bullet Club, they've jumped the shark. You know, they used to be cool and interesting and exciting. But now they've had so many members and done so much rubbish. You know, Ace Austin's randomly in them now that you kind of can't really take them seriously. And it comes from an episode of Happy Days, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, where Fonz is in a, um, what's it called, water skiing competition. And he literally jumps over a shark. A shark gets into the bay where they're doing it and he jumps over it. So now when, and that was the point where Happy Days was just done, it was just silly. Um, and that's what Jumping the Shark is. I think that's a really interesting little tidbit. I love the phrase. Um, I mean, th this was just a little bit clumsy, a little bit silly. You know, there was stuff at the end where, you know, neither man exits the ring and you're thinking, oh no, what's going to happen? And, and, and Robbie X goes for a handshake, but... Austin, Ace Austin too sweets him in the face and I hate that stuff I just think it's too much there's all the fake handshake spots because wrestlers can't ever do that sort of thing normally 
They can't ever do it naturally. If someone walks up to you and puts their hand out for a handshake, you either shake the hand or you walk away. But wrestlers can't do that. Wrestlers, for some reason, need to do this GCSE, B-Tech level drama production in front of us and have all this big song and dance. And I, I, I just think it's stupid. I'd rather they didn't do it. And it's one of my... You know by now, if you've been listening for a while, that's one of my pet hates. Um... Next, there was a Dunkin' Donuts sketch with uh, Greg Burridge and Colt Cabana that I'm not talking about. It was awful. Not funny. I feel a bit strange talking about Colt Cabana because I know he's well-liked, and I like him. I like his podcast. I like him as a person. Um, but I, I, I don't. he's not a wrestler I have any interest in. He's a comedy wrestler, and you know how I feel about comedy wrestlers. It's always weird to hear him talk about British wrestling because he kind of ideal, idolises people like Big Daddy. And I think, why? And I, I, I get why Big Daddy's important. I'm not one of those people, t- tends to be Americans, who don't really understand how important Big Daddy is to the British wrestling scene. And I, I get that. And I, that, that isn't me sneering and, and being silly. That's I, I get it. Because they didn't grow up like I did, speaking to people about wrestling. And instantly, anybody who was older than me would say, what, like Big Daddy? Even now, when you go on a BBC article about wrestling, when something pops up, Big Daddy will be in the first paragraph. You know, he, I, but he's not somebody who, as a wrestler, you would idolise. He's, he's significant. It's like Hulk Hogan. Ironically, the next match, we're going to talk about someone who seems really influenced by Hulk Hogan, Alex Hammerstone, who had a match against Nathan Cruz for the MLW World Heavyweight title. And it was weird to see somebody inspired by Hulk Hogan. You know, you can't deny Hulk Hogan, can you? You know, he is one of the biggest wrestling stars of all time. He's probably the most significant wrestling superstar of all time in terms of how he moved from into the TV era and into the media era and all that. I don't need to do a history lesson on Hulk Hogan, surely. But it's not like people are ripping off his moves or even his his attitude or even who he is. But Alex Hammerstone kind of is and it's just a bit weird isn't it it's just when it just it seems a bit strange so let's get on to that match then it was Alex Hammerstone against Nathan Cruz uh, Nathan Cruz the first progress champion uh, came out with an awful entrance just an absolutely abysmal do you know that forced anger that's really really cheesy it's not even fake tough guy because fake tough guy I can get behind a little bit but it was the it was the fake heel, the forced heel, and it, it really makes me cringe and not in. It's like the go away sort of heat, you know. He's doing angry faces, so we know that he's a baddie, and he's saying things like, "Oh, I want all the spotlight on me." It just, I, I feel like that's the sort of wrestling character that needs to be left in the past where it belongs. It's not something that we need now. And I, I felt like I'm watching something from a wrestling past that made me want to go out and seek other wrestling. You know, when WWE sort of got a little bit corny for me and I grew up a little bit and I started to want to look into the Ring of Honours of the world, it kind of had that sort of feeling for me. You know, when we get in the what chance during the, his mate did a promo and the crowd are doing what in between and he's encouraging it as well he's delivering the cadence of his promo so he gets the what uh 
And that, to me, is, is a wrestling capital that I just do not put any value in. The idea of me sitting at a wrestling show, and you call me a snob if you want, maybe I am, but the idea of me sitting in a wrestling show doing what chance and enjoying a promo with the what thing. I, I didn't get it when it was Steve Austin. I didn't get it five years, 10 years, 15 years later, and I certainly don't get it now. It's just, it's ridiculous. Um, I've actually don't, think i've ever seen alex hammerstone before i don't watch mlw i know the world doesn't stop there but it, it does for me and i liked his entrance he's jacked it's got a bit more about him you know he's a jack guy who comes out and shouts and, and that's kind of what i want but like i say the hulk hogan influence is just weird like he's doing the hulk hogan ear thing ready to throw t-shirts in and he hooks up and i don't know if, if, if it's me just thinking he looks like hulk hogan and, and added a load to it i don't know but i just thought it was a, a little bit stupid and there were spots in this like with nathan cruz wiping his bum on his t-shirt you know he uh, hammerstone not his own t-shirt he's not a psychopath alex hammerstone was going to throw his t-shirt out to the crowd but only you know you don't get a free t-shirt for nothing you you only get a free t-shirt if you're the loudest side of the ring obviously that's that's kayfabe 101 isn't it um and he's, he's, he's deciding who's the loudest and who gets the T-shirt. And he attacks him, Nathan Cruz, and he takes the T-shirt off him and he wipes his bum on it. I'm going to say something and it makes me uncomfortable to say it because I know when I'm saying it, I'm wrong to say it. But I'm going to say it anyway. It was too holiday camp. And I am not somebody who criticises holiday camp wrestling. I understand the value of holiday camp wrestling. I respect the tradition of holiday camp wrestling. At the same time, don't want to watch Holiday Camp Wrestling. Uh, I did like Cruz's 70s hair, but the match was boring when it actually started. It was just a weird succession of moves. It was far too long. There were loads of ref distractions, and the ref being dragged out and pins. You know, the belt was stuck into the ring, but the referee didn't notice. It was fiend-level storytelling. You know the way they've been doing this thing of the Fiend coming back and they've basically told you he's coming back, which is smart, I suppose. But everyone's breaking it down as if it's this amazing, clever story and it just isn't. It's like that sort of feeling. It's I'm watching things and I, in this match and I'm feeling patronised by it. It was such a story in inverted commas match that I couldn't believe that I was expected to be entertained by it. It was such a succession of things happening with lights and sounds. And I'm sat here with the British Wrestling Podcast having to think of things to say about it. The only thing that made this match worse than what I've just said is the fact that the ref saw the belt and threw it out. Not the belt, the match. He threw the match out. So not only did I have to sit through this utter trash... That it all meant nothing. Honestly, like, I, I don't get who's... Why can't you just beat Nathan Cruz? Why can't the MLW champion just beat Nathan Cruz? Like, am I, am I out to lunch here? It's just that thing, it, it's stunk of backstage politics. You know, that maybe Nathan Cruz is somebody they're going to want to do something with in future because he's got nice 70s hair. So what they'll do is they'll do a hooky finish and then we'll and just don't do it. Just don't do it. Nathan Cruz can lose and go away and never be seen again. 
D'Lo Brown came out at the end, and I love D'Lo. I absolutely love D'Lo. Uh, he's one of those wrestlers that I really distinctly remember from my childhood, or maybe my teenage years, I suppose. And I can't really tell you any D'Lo Brown matches that I love. I can't really think of any matches full stop, really. But he's just a wrestler who I have a lot of affection for. I think it's just the way he moves, you know, the way he moves his head. And when I was a teenager and, he's, you know, his, his theme tune always got me pumped up, you know. You're looking at the real deal now. And, you know, he's going to kick your ass out on the streets and stuff like that. Always got me really excited. Um, but what he did next kind of put that feeling to the test. Because what he did was restart the match. So not only did we have a really rubbish match, we had a really rubbish finish, and then we had D'Lo Brown come out and try to restart it. But then, rather than actually start the match, Cruz and his mate tried to beat everyone up. And then caused the match to be thrown out again. Who's thought this through? Has anybody sat and thought about the story that you've told here? It's a championship match. Why would the heel... Why would he not want the match to be restarted? Why would he not want another chance to win the MLW title? I don't... I mean, maybe I'm doing my typical Neil thing of getting a little bit too pernickety about something that doesn't really matter. It's the MLW... W World Heavyweight title in the Doncaster Dome for a resurgent 1PW wrestling. I'm probably thinking about this more than it warrants, but it bugs me when I'm watching a match where I feel that I've thought about it more than the people who put this match together. It was just simulacra all the way through. You know, we, it was just a belt being thrown in because that's what you do. It was a, a star coming out because that's what you do. It was the match being restarted because that's just something you do. It's like they've thrown darts at random things to do in rubbish storyline wrestling. And Nathan Cruz is a fine wrestler. He's nobody's favourite wrestler, but he's all right. The worst part of this is that Cruz's mate, and I, do you know what? It says a lot that I can't remember his name, and I keep saying Cruz's mate because I'm not looking it up. I can see I've got Cage Match open in another window from my notes, and I can see it, and I'm not looking because I don't want to know anymore. But there was a bit in this where D'Lo got rid of Nathan Cruz, or who else? I think it was Hammerstone got rid of him, and then. Cruz's mate was supposed to stand up and realise he was in the ring on his own with D'Lo and Alex Hammerstone. But D'Lo and Alex Hammerstone were about 15 minutes behind everybody else and he just had to stand there and sort of pretend that there was no way he could escape for what felt like 10 minutes. This match was bad on almost every possible level of analysis. It wasn't entertaining. It wasn't well executed. It's not even like, you know, sometimes we were talking about Matt Cardona last episode, that what he does is incredibly well executed. All those deathmatch guys, what they do is incredibly well executed. It might not be for me. It might not be something that I enjoy. But what they're doing, they're doing it well. This was bad on the surface of what it is, and it was executed badly at the same time. Not made me want to watch MLW, if I'm completely honest with you. Anyway. 
Next up, we had Session Moth Martina against Jamie Hayter. Feel a bit weird going into uh, Session Moth Martina twice in a row because uh, I talked about her on the last episode. I think this gimmick just isn't isn't good. You know, I, I, it was all right when she first started doing it, and now we're years down the line. It's not changed. It's not evolved. It was smirk-worthy at best when it started. And don't forget, when it started, it was usually amongst a really good card. So it was never going to be a focus. Whereas now, generally across the board, cards are worse. The wrestling's not as good as it used to be. And yet this is just kind of the same. So it highlights just how, how boring it is, really. And I think it's a shame putting her against someone like Jamie Hayter. Because Hayter can have proper matches. I mean, she might break your face, but she will have proper, proper matches. Um, Session Moth came out with a load of people, kind of like a rubbish Adam Rose. And I'm using that on purpose. Like, think I don't think Adam Rose is good, and she was a rubbish version of it. Um, and then there was this weird thing from commentary. Again, do you know, like we said about commentary, highlighting things that are bad and almost just exposing the fact that they're bad rather than twist the way you see it they were trying to make out that this the way session moth martina comes out and all the all the drinking and all that business that she does is part of a tactic he was talking about how uh he, he commented on an mma fight and some mma fighters come out all smiles because they want to put their opponent on the back foot and and take them by surprise when they start wrestling well and that's why martina does what she does and i think she does what she does because it's a pro wrestling gimmick you know, you'd have, you'd have been better off just not saying anything for this. Um, to be fair, the match itself was actually fine. I mean, I know that's that's damning with faint praise, but one they, once they started working, it was actually all right. There were some good bits in this, some good spots. It built to a functional story. Um, I thought it was strange that Jamie Hayter lost. I thought there was there was this thing where AEW could, you know, the stars can work indies, they can work where they want, but there's things about them losing. You know, they really, you know, you, you can go where you want, but you just can't lose a match. So it was strange for her to lose, especially to Session Moth Martina. Um, but then again, maybe that's what it is. Maybe it's just this is so low rent that it, it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter. Next up, we had 1PW Legends Team Shag. Uh, Colt Cabana and Greg Burridge against the British invasion of Doug Williams and Nick Aldis. And this is good because we can pay our respects to the British legend, Doug Williams. Absolute legend. He's retired more times than Nick, uh, Nikita Mazepin. <laughs> Which, you know, he's still doing the rounds, isn't he? The last time I saw him, he was doing that, that bit in Rev Pro and he just seemed to disappear. He was actually quite good in Red Pro, Doug Williams, I thought. He was he was playing that role of the older veteran taking younger guys under his wing, and I thought that was a really good story. He was doing it with Brendan White, and it just stopped for some reason. I don't know why. I thought that was a bit of a shame. Um, I, generally speaking, don't like nostalgia in my wrestling. I don't like my wrestling to call back to the past too much i think 
in terms of wrestling style, that's great. You know, you get someone like a Zack Sabre Jr. who can do callbacks to a world of... Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hey, Hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Sports style. Um, or like a Jordan Breaks from uh, Purpose Wrestling. You know, kind of like a throwback style. But what I never get on with is this is just something from the past. You know, one of my least favourite comedians is Peter Kay because it's just, oh, do you remember this? Because my answer is always Yes. Oh, do you remember this thing that was funny? Yeah, I'd just watch the thing if I was interested. If I wanted Team Shag back, I'm sure there was a way I could find those matches. But I absolutely do not want Team Shag back. And the problem with it was, as they're coming out and doing silly dancing, it's just not funny. You've got to judge things as they're presented. And I think sometimes with comedy wrestling, people forgive it because they think, well, it's wrestling, it's not really comedy. But if you're presenting it as comedy, you, it gets judged as comedy. And Colt Cabana having furry balls in his pants, it's just rubbish, isn't it? It's not funny, it's not clever, it's not original, it's just weird. May, am I, I, maybe I'm just grumpy, I don't know, but I, I, just, I thought it was, it was just bizarre. Now, when the wrestling started, it was it was perfectly fine. It was Burridge against Williams, and they were doing a, a nice hammerlock exchange. And I thought, okay, well, you know, we can have our <coughs> we can have our little dalliances. But if the bell goes and you wrestle, I'm happy with it. But we're going to have one of my pet hates, something I've been talking about disliking since this show started, and we've not had one in a while, so it pains me. To have to talk about this because I almost forgot this was a thing in wrestling. What did we have? We had a dance-off. Colt Cabana grabs the microphone while Burridge and Williams are wrestling. Stops them and says, hey, we can wrestle anytime. Well, you can't wrestle anytime, Colt Cabana. You can wrestle when there's a wrestling show on and you're in a wrestling ring. And it just so happens that this is a wrestling show and you're in a wrestling ring and you're stopping it and saying, hey, let's not do wrestling. Well, I think, yes, let's do wrestling if we're in a wrestling ring. I nearly drove to Doncaster for this. And it wasn't even funny dancing. They just put a Scissor Sisters song on and pranced around in an embarrassing drunk uncle at a wedding way. And everyone who laughed was laughing out of sympathy. It was worth the... just. I paid £13 for this on Fight TV. Honestly, nobody likes dance-offs. Tell me, I dare you, if you like a dance-off, tell me. I bet nobody does. I, I just, it's not funny. Honestly, it winds me up something rotten. Then we had some more sloppy tag team wrestling. And what did we finish with? Guess 
Bored dancing. Doug Williams dancing. Might be a poor old legend, but he's not a legend at dancing. I tell you what. Maybe I'm jealous because I've got spina bifida. And the dancing that I could do in my head and the dancing that my broken body does are two very different things. And I, <laughs> maybe that's why, where it all comes from. But honestly, I just, I, I can't do, I can't do dance-offs anymore. I can tolerate comedy wrestling to a certain extent. I can tolerate it in small doses and I can let it go. But this, I can't listen to another commentator go, hey, we're having a good time because we're not having a good time. Wrestling's good. I like wrestling do wrestling, and everybody in this match is a perfectly fine wrestler, they could have had a perfectly fine wrestling match, I just don't get it, I, I never will, I, I just don't get it, then we had a survival of the sickest match, and this was another nostalgia thing, another callback, uh, it was Team Iceman against Team Ulf, it was Clint Majera, Iceman and Jack Harrop, against Tyler Devlin, Ulf Herman and Will Cruz, and obviously Iceman and uh, Ulf Herman at one PW Originals. And again, this was never going to be for me for a couple of reasons. I said earlier on about the nostalgia. Don't really get nostalgia in wrestling. I, I don't really feel the need to see people past their prime. And I, I know that might sound a little bit ageist, but I, I, I think if you can go, you can go. I don't think there's an age limit on it, but I, I don't really feel anything when I see old wrestlers kind of rehash old things. You know, for example, I'm more than happy to go back. I'm doing a bit of a 80s WWF watch. I know there's all the house shows on the network, and I'm thinking, well, I want to get through those before they take the network off from us. And I'm more than happy to go back and watch that. I don't need to watch them do it 15 years later half as well. And again, I've not exactly got a great deal of love for Iceman and Ulf Herman. Um, this was this was never really going to be for me anyway, because it was a death match, and you know, watching people bleed for this business isn't really something that I put a lot of stock in. Um, Will Cruz was a last minute addition to this. Actually, it should have been Big Guns Joe, and I think that's quite a big upgrade because I Will Cruz is a funny one. He's that sort of British wrestler that. I don't really know where to place him at the minute. We've talked a lot before about British wrestling being in a bit of a funny place that if you were to rank your favourites and how good people are, people like Will Cruz will probably be higher up than they should be. You know, Will Cruz shouldn't be in a position where he's being analysed as one of the better people on the scene because he's new to this, he's still learning, he's still developing. But... It kind of is what it is, isn't it? He is up there. I feel like Will Cruz is a prospect, and every time I've seen him, I've been really impressed. And he's one of those wrestlers who is much, much better live. When you see him in person, he's captivated. He's absolutely terrifying. He comes across much better in person than he does on VOD, I think, especially with the state of the way a lot of the VODs he's on are going to be. You know, they're not going to have the, the crisp, amazing production that you might expect. Um, he did a really good moonsault, which was which is great. He was a moonsault then. He was a moonsault. Um, Jack Harrop, again, a wrestler that I don't know, but he bumped like absolute 
craziness in this match. You know, into guardrails and things. And to be honest with you, I wasn't really sure it was worth it. The best part of this match was the commentator saying that people were spilling some serious plasma. <laughs> I just... It's just it's a lovely bit of sibilance that made me chuckle. I thought that was a really good one. Uh, most of this match was just stuff happening, you know, people being thrown into chairs, and it was that kind of weird middle ground that you often get in death matches or extreme matches, where it's really boring, but you're watching people do incredibly extreme things, like you're watching people be launched into chairs, and I'm going, oh, that's quite boring i'm not really into this and it's just odd isn't it It just feels strange to to think that it's boring when they're doing something that's obviously really painful and that was possibly personified best when jack got put on a table which collapsed because it was clearly a gimmick table and tyler devlin leapt off a balcony on top of another table that was clearly gimmicked and about to break and he completely missed this table and landed on his spine. Talked about me having spina bifida. That would kill me if I did that. Like I'm not I'm not exaggerating as well. I'm not saying, oh, it killed me, it'd really hurt. I would be dead if I did that. And I'm thinking you've done this as the full stop on a match where people were just kind of silly with a pair of pliers. They just kind of casually wandered around a re- an, are- an arena with whiffs of extremity every now and then. It just it just seemed like a really strange thing to do. And I'm not one of those people, I, I don't do the William Regal thing of, oh, you should look after, I think you should do whatever you want with your body, you know, in, ter- in terms of wrestling. Throw yourself off balconies, get yourself smashed in the head with chairs, do whatever you want, it's your decision. You know, you wrestlers have to have a certain few brain cells missing anyway don't they so you might as well go for it but i i I would question the the big mark on the bump card for doing that spot i just thought it was it was just a little bit silly really next up we had a fight for the future elimination match and listen to some of the stars in this amir jordan ace matthews okay but we've got man like darice callum newman Luke Jacobs, and a guy called Scotty Rourke. Now, I'm not hugely familiar with Scotty Rourke. He's somebody who's... He's one of those people, you know, you feel like you know him because you see his name about a lot and you see him on on posters and things. But actually, I don't think I've seen him wrestle very often. He's done bits local to me with Catch Pro. And I... I don't like Catch Pro. I went to the first show and I, I didn't really enjoy what they did. So I, I, I've, I've never been back. Um... But he's got a really cool look. He's like alternative kind of thing and he looks great. And obviously, you know how I feel about Man Like Darice and Callum Newman. Um, Luke Jacobs came out to the Arctic Monkeys, which I thought was a great fit. I mean, obviously, I'm not <laughs> utterly convinced about the legality of them using those songs. But it, it fit for him and it was it was really a, a great entrance. And I think Luke Jacobs has, has crossed a line for me recently. I was, I was always on the edge about him as a star. But I've really turned the corner on him and I, I I think he's great it was why I was a little bit weird about him being in this match because this you know the name of it was the fight for the future match and it was that sort of thing that I think is a really good idea to get a bunch of young wrestlers on a card it's some sort of elimination style multi-man 
and they could just have a little bit of time each just to sort of reveal themselves. And that was the way that it, this was structured in a lot of ways, that they would, you know, someone would come out, they do their moves, then they get eliminated and, and, and so on. But I feel like Luke Jacobs and Man Like Darice were a little bit past that. You know, I feel like, I mean, obviously Luke Jacobs is way past it, but somebody like Darice, I think he's at the point now where what he needs to do is learn to put matches together and learn the storytelling. Because actually, in terms of moves and, and physicality and getting himself over with a crowd and, and, and exuding his charisma, he's got that. He's just got to get the reps in now in singles matches. And really, like I say, he's sort of graduated a little bit past this sort of match. Man like Darius is at that funny point that we said about Will Cruz, I think, that he's at the point now where he's starting to be evaluated as a top-tier talent in the country. And I don't know if he's had the time yet to really establish himself enough to be ready for it. He's at that really awkward cusp. And he's going to be at the point that Luke Jacobs was at where he's going to be he's going to have to sink or swim. And I think Luke Jacobs is swimming, but he was really touch and go for a while. And it'd be interesting to see where man like Darius goes. And it'd be a shame if he sinks because I, th- I think he's fantastic. Ace Matthews, I don't know, but he came out with a promo and he was awful. You know, he, he was just awful. He, he, he killed the mood. You know, all these exciting young wrestlers were coming out and he comes out with a, a, a kind of a Mr. Motivator style microphone on and tries to do a promo about not having wrestling. And as I said before, when people were dancing, I like wrestling. But luckily, Scotty Rock, the true hero, booted him in the face, eliminated him, and he was off. And it kind of just made me think, well, what was the point in that? You know, I, I just don't really get it. I don't I don't get wrestlers sneering at wrestling. I, I, it's, it's just not what I want. I don't think it's a good story. The match was itself was full of great, flips you know scotty rock did an amazing spinning thing and it, it was a little bit clunky at times you know like when they're setting up dives and it sometimes takes a bit too long and people are just kind of putting their arms around each other and that sort of thing can go on a little bit too long and expose things you know there was lots of that um newman was good here he's, he's improving but again he's he's a not quite as far along as man like Darius, but I feel like it's not his work that he needs to work on. It's his charisma. And I, I think he knows that. And you can see him starting to put a bit of personality into what he does. He was always very po-faced and very straight-faced um, previously. But I feel like he's leaning into being a bit of a fun baby face. And I, I just don't like that character from anybody. And very few people can pull it off. Um Jacobs was the standout here because he was just knocking people's blocks off. You know, he he was dominant for lots of it. I loved any interaction between Doris and Jacobs. But there was little things like they did the tower spot, you know, where two of them were, were going to do a superplex to another guy. So then somebody goes and puts their arm on between the legs. And, and, and you just think, well, why are you doing that? Why do we need spots like that? Then they never work. They never look good. They're always forced. They don't serve any purpose. It's not like it. It's a bit clunky getting there, but it's absolutely spectacular when they do it. Like a balcony spot is always a bit clunky to get into, but when it happens, it's obviously so amazing and it's dangerous, in its danger that it kind of 
forgive you kind of forgive it and you get over it but actually with that sort of tower of doom spot it takes forever to get in and it looks crap so i don't know why they did it uh jacobs won which i'm glad about i don't know where it's going but they've advertised davy richards for the next show uh luke jacobs against davy richards i would be up for i would be into that then we've got Mickey James against Lizzie Evo. Uh, Evo's all right, and Mickey James is, is is Mickey James. And I think when they came out, I thought, hang on, we might actually have a proper match here. And you know what? We did. We got a proper match. It was a bit of a gentleman's three. But in terms of pure wrestling, in terms of a structured wrestling match, it's probably the best thing on the show. You know, Lizzie plays the, the heel really well. She could be incredibly unlikable when she wants to be, and she, she she knows what she's doing. And Mickey James is really good at playing the underdog and doing the babyface fight back. Um, so it was a very functional match, but a, a perfectly fine one. You know, if there was more of this on the card, I think I would have liked this show a little bit more. Uh, the ending kind of came out of nowhere, which was a bit of a shame, because it was structured really well until the ending. You know, the idea that Lizzie Evo was battering Mickey James and then she did the babyface fight back. You know, very standard. Nothing that broke the mould in any way, shape or form. But that's fine most of the time. I don't mind that. And then it just sort of ended with Mickey James getting the pin. Um, and it felt like a bit of a, oh, they ran out of time and they got told to end it. Which I think this match deserved better than that. I don't think it deserved that at all. Uh, Tonga came out at the end which I can do without Tonga, to be honest with you. I, I really tried with Tonga. Uh, I think, again, she's another one. She was in the sink or swim position, and she's kind of sank. Um, she's wrestling in places that I don't really watch. Um, but may, maybe what she needs is a bit of reevaluation. I feel like she's one of those wrestlers that got a big push because of the way British wrestling was decimated. And she's been put in a position that she wasn't really ready for, and that soured how we see her and how we analyse her. But perhaps it's good that she goes away for a little bit and maybe she's having a little run in 1PW. We can, we can use that as a time to, to re-evaluate and see where she's up to. Talking to people, I thought I'd escaped. It's Karen Noir next. <laughs> I've, again, completely abandoned progress and he was the nail in the coffin for me. That story he did with Spike Trevay, I will maintain, is one of the worst things I have ever seen in wrestling. And I'm prepared to back that up as well. I know sometimes I'm, I'm prone to hyperbole and obviously we've got to try and make these podcasts a little bit entertaining and hyperbole is a tool you can use, but I genuinely mean it. I thought that story he did with Spike Trevay was abysmal. And it's really soured me on anything he ever does. And it's actually, I've realised watching this a bit of a shame because fundamentally, I think he's a really good wrestler. In terms of, he's not setting the world on fire. He's not, you know, Kenta Kabashi or anything like that. But he's got a great look in and of itself. He He's clearly able to do lots of cool things in the ring. But the way he tells stories is is just abysmal. Um, his entrance got absolutely no reaction. I don't think it did anyway. As I said earlier on, the crowd was miked awfully during this. And it seemed like he got absolutely no reaction. Um, so I don't know if he needs a shake-up. I think he's a bit of a session moth. And again, if I can remove myself from what I think of the gimmick, I think the gimmick's... 
fine. I think part of the problem is is that he just doesn't do it very well. You know, when he's unleashing his wings, he's just not very good at doing it. Do you know what I mean? He kind of stumbles and looks awkward and he just doesn't look good. And I, I think that's part of it. I wonder if he just needs a little bit of a shake-up with it. And certainly it seemed like that's what the crowd wanted because, like I say, they weren't interested at all. Um, I think it's a shame that it was against Christopher Daniels here because I'm conscious that Daniels is winding down. You know, did you see that tweet he put out of all the places that he'd worked over the years? And you just think, what a career he's had. Like, what an amazing career Christopher Daniels had has had being a bastion and being at the forefront of of independent wrestling and, and just being in so many places and working at a high level for so long. And him having a match against Car Noir on paper seems like a bit of a letdown if this is going to be one of the last times that we see him. But actually, this match was good. And it made me really think about Car Noir. Like, I wonder if he just needs somebody like a Christopher Daniels to take the lead. And I, I don't know who took the lead in this. And I don't know who took the lead in Karen Noir's progress stuff. I'm assuming Karen Noir did his own progress stuff. And I assume Christopher Daniels took the lead here. Because that seems to make a little bit more sense. But the way they were able to do things here. Like they did a choke spot. And Karen Noir, like I say, physically he's brilliant. He was able to jump up and get locked his choke in. And it was... Christopher Daniels trying to escape from this choke and Caranoir being able to grip it back in. And the way Car is able to be desperate with it and really sell that he, 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 this move is his only hope to put Christopher Daniels away. And the way Christopher Daniels was able to sell how dangerous it was by being desperate to escape was really, really good. And I think that's always the shame with um, somebody like Caranoir is that if he... If he wants to be, and if he's allowed to be, there's great matches in him. Um, he did some really good stuff in WXW with the 16 karat gold weekend. Um, I don't know about his DDT stuff, because it's not a promotion that I watch. So if, you, if you've been watching his DDT stuff, let me know what it's been like. I'd be curious to know how it, it's been going across there. Um, but yeah, that late game story was great with the choke. And the way... Noir sold here was fantastic. He, he really committed himself to like throwing himself against the ropes and slamming himself against turnbuckles. And yeah, I was actually really impressed with Noir here. And if you can ignore the terrible entrance, there's a lot to to like about him. And I, I, it's in a way, I'm glad I've had this time removed from him to sort of come back and reevaluate. And yeah, it's, I think. Maybe it's the combination of the two things. Maybe it's progress and Cara Noir together that really made me question my existence. <laughs> Maybe them being separated is something that I can tolerate and, and actually enjoy. Main event then. Rob Van Dam with Katie Forbes versus Mark Haskins with Vicky Haskins. Mark Haskins, do you have any pro wrestling merchandise like a t-shirt that you look at sometimes and think, why did I buy that? I've got a Mark Askins t-shirt and I look at it and I think, why did I buy that? Not necessarily because of Mark Askins. I think Mark Askins is, is, is fine. It's got like underrated in it in sort of medieval style text and a British flag. And it's, do you know the sort of t-shirt that MMA people were wearing? Like, Jerry Lawler wears them a lot. 
that weird kind of diamante t-shirt that MMA people would wear in sort of the mid-2000s. It's kind of that style. And I sometimes look at it and go, I've never worn that outside the house. Why did I buy it? It was when Mark Haskins was Progress Champion. And I bought it at a Progress show. I don't know why. Like I say, I'm not even a particular fan of Mark Haskins. I think he's good. I think he's a bit like the Pearl Jam of wrestling. He's a bit like the Marks and Spencers of wrestling. You know things that have a certain quality. And you know that quality is good. But it's never going to surprise you. It's never going to blow you away. So you go and you buy your work shirts from Marks and Spencers. Because you're going to get a certain quality. But it's never going to amaze you. You listen to a Pearl Jam record or go to a Pearl Jam show. And you know it's going to be good. And you know it's going to be entertaining. And it's going to be a good night out. But then you're never going to go away wowed. There's, an, there's a little bit of an excitement missing from them. But in a way, I think Mark Haskins is really important to the British scene because he's somebody you, you can put in a position like this. You can put him in a main event against a big import and it's going to be functional. It's going to be good. So maybe I shouldn't be so critical of him because I think we need him. Um, I find Katie Forbes terrifying. She's an incredibly powerful woman. I mean, she'd, she'd eat me alive. I, I was... I was watching the entrance as she comes out and she's she's wearing like a, a cosy and my wife is hoovering when I, she, when I was watching. She was hoovering the landing and I'm watching it taking notes. And she, it's one of those wrestling moments where I'm thinking, oh, please don't walk in. Cause, not because my wife is good. <laughs> like she would just absolutely take the piss out of me for days. You know, of, oh, what are you watching that for? And all this. And I, I, I didn't want to deal with that. Like, it's, you know, like just the smirk that she'd have and the, and the ammunition that had given her to wind me up. I just thought, I don't want it. Um, again, I don't get this nostalgia thing with, with a guy like Rob Van Dam. And I love Rob Van Dam. I, I think he's one of my... I mean, he'd be in my top 50 wrestlers of all time. You know, and a lot of that is what he represents. You know, the ethos and the attitude and, the, you know, that ECW thing is just, he's incredibly captivating. But do I want to watch him wrestle in 2022? And I feel like I'm being ageist when I'm saying it. And he can sort of go, but not really. And what you've got to remember with Rob Van Dam is that Rob Van Dam going is being incredibly athletic and obviously is is not at the same level of athleticism that he was in the mid 90s and it, it just it, it it's just kind of a sad version of it and I, I i don't really get it and especially because what it then has to do because of that is evolve into sort of the cheesy crowd playing at the start like this took absolutely forever to get started there was so much chanting at the start and Rob was had to do the RVD point, and then there was something weird where he was pointing at the One PW logo, and I don't really get what the message was. He was kind of pointing at it, and then talking to Katie Forbes, and then talking to Mark Haskins, and really it was anything but wrestle at that point. They were doing everything but wrestle, and it, it was really strange. The match itself was very still. I don't really know how else to describe it. It was just very still. 
it was lots of Mark Haskins working limbs with rest holds. And it it was very much, and I suppose this is appropriate for a Brit wrestling company of all coming back, it felt very much like the kind of match that I used to watch in Preston when I first started going to live British wrestling. Sort of seeing an American import come in and do a few rest holds and then we'd wait and then we'd get to see some of their signature moves. It wasn't really a match that you can have an opinion on because it was it was very much an exhibition. And I felt like, and for all the faults, you have to credit progress for this in a lot of ways, we've kind of moved away from that. That it was, we've moved into actually, no, we can have a scene where British wrestlers do good British wrestling. And I, I kind of hope that 1PW might have had that ethos a little bit where it wasn't just this idea of the imports coming in and doing a couple of moves, but that was really what this, this match was. Um, Katie Forbes got a chair out halfway through this, or well, towards the end. The referee told him he wasn't allowed to use it, but he put it on top of Mark Haskins anyway and went off to do a... a what's his coast-to-coast? Is it the Van Terminator, that one? You know, he does the coast-to-coast with the chair. But Vicky Haskins just came in the ring and then hit the ref with the chair. And again, this was what I was saying before about storytelling in wrestling. You, you like It's the same with comedy. If you're going to present comedy, it's going to be judged as comedy. If you're going to present story, it's going to be judged as story. What story were you telling here? It was just things happening. A heel manager hit the ref with the chair. Why? What did that achieve? What did you advance? What interesting thing did you say? Did you tell? Katie Forbes came in and thought of, of Vicky Haskins. And I, I, I don't really know what to say about it. It was just it, it was just things happening on the screen. It was just LEDs or whatever you have in telly uh, nowadays being lit. It was sound coming out of a sound bar and it was bodies moving around. And I just, I'm, I'm so glad I didn't go and watch it because I, I, I just didn't see what purpose this served anybody. I don't understand what the angle is unless you're an RVD super fan. I don't understand what or who this served. It was just a bit sad, really. And then Haskins won the match with quite possibly the worst pinfall you'll see all year. He was barely touching him. I feel like I'm being really grumpy and, you know, you can probably tell I've got a bit of a cold. So that's, that might be why. But it, it just, there was nothing really on this mat, on this show that I can recommend. I mean, they drew 1,500 people, according to Cage Match. And I understand what people are going to say that, you know, numbers talk and drawing a house talks. But after seeing this, I can't see me ever wanting to go to a 1PW show ever again. I don't understand why I would be interested in going. You know, the next one they've announced is uh, got Ruby Soho in, and it's in Lincoln, which is relatively close to me. But I just, it's that thing when you can book names, but sometimes promotions get a reputation, and you know that they're not going to do anything interesting with them. 
You know, it's kind of like the what culture effect, isn't it? That they book like Kushida and Ishii and Suzuki and you know, big megastars, generational all-time stars. And I'd go and I'd buy the ticket because they were there. And I'd leave feeling disappointed. And yes, I'll never forget Ishii's entrance. And I can distinctly remember every time I've seen him because he's probably my favourite wrestler of all time. No, he isn't. It's Jushin Liger. But he's probably my favourite He's up there. But I can't really remember the matches. And that's ultimately what 1PW have given the impression that they are. So I don't really feel the need to, uh, to pursue them anymore. So let's wrap up my grumpiness with some final words about what I've been eating for me tea. Uh, it was lasagna that I had for my tea, and it was lovely, because you know what I did? My wife went out, so I cooked it, and I stood in the kitchen, and I ate it, and I watched 1PW, and the lasagna was probably the best bit. And do you know what was good about it? It wasn't fancy. I didn't go over the top with it. I just made it off a good food um, recipe, uh, the good food website, and it was hearty, and it was lovely. Very much the antithesis to this 1PW show, which overall was just a bit pants, and I've got absolutely no desire to watch them ever again. Um, so we're going to sign off, hopefully next week, and it will be next week, so I'm not going to fall behind. I know this is a week late, but I want to have an episode every fortnight. We're going to have Royal Quest up, and something very exciting has happened that I've noticed, that if you go on RevPro's On Demand, it says that South the Southampton show... Uh, is pending, it's off air it says, so it seems like they're going to do something live and I think that would be a really good time to have a Red Pro catch up because I know I've talked a lot about that rivalry between um, Destination Everywhere and how it's one of my favourite things I've ever seen in wrestling, well there's been some developments in that and I, I, I think we need to go back and have a look at what's happened since the York Hall shows so it would be uh, nice to catch up on Red Pro and as I say, hopefully, at least we can have a brief flitter with Royal Quest. I know I'm not on New Japan show, and my New Japan takes aren't exactly um, desired by many people. But I think that that tag match, I think if it's one of the best matches to have ever happened on British soil, we've got to talk about it, and we've got to see if, 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 if the fuss is real. So I hope you have a lovely week, not a fortnight. I'll be back uh, next week to talk about all the exciting happenings in British and European wrestling. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, EuroGrapCXP. Don't forget to get in the Voices of Wrestling Discord and uh, get in the room there and talk about cheese boards with us. And I will catch you in a bit. See you later.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.